0: Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Uh, couldn't think of a better introduction than that. I uh, hope you guys really appreciate and realize the incredible privilege we have in having Steve and the, um, the worship band. Thanks, you guys. Um, I get the privilege of sharing with you the last time before we take off for a week, go home. And I, w- I hope to uh, have it be a real encouraging time for us as a family as brothers and sisters, as we um, get ready to go home. I want to look at something that's really been on my heart a lot, that my wife and I have wrestled through and thought a lot about, as how it applies to our life. Um, I remember it was about six years ago that, that I arrived here on the Masters College campus, uh, the fall of 1989, as a freshman. Uh, it seems like forever ago. But I remember I didn't know anybody here. I think it's kind of ironic that I run the WOW program now, because when I came, I didn't get, I didn't go through WOW. I just arrived Sunday and classes started Monday, and I remember showing up at the first class and not knowing where to go, not knowing who to sit next to because I didn't know anybody. Um, and then going to the cafeteria for lunch, and it's not like it is now where you stand there with your tray because you can't find a place to sit down. I mean, now you stand there because there's like no empty seats. I stood there because there were a lot of empty seats, but I didn't know where to go sit down because I didn't know anybody there. That kind of awkwardness, that kind of um, being uncomfortable, I believe is really the, the picture of how we as believers, of, of how we as Christians are to, to feel towards this world that we live in. Um, so we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, what I like to call, because I'm a good seminary student now and a theology student, alienology. Alienology the um, the steady of being an alien here, so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. I believe that uh, that that you know have that's a really weird type thing. I'm just gonna turn this like that so you can hear it, not me. Um, I believe that uh, that awkwardness, that that uncomfortable feeling, uh, we all experience, we all feel. One of our greatest desires as as humans as people, is to want to know people, to want to fit in, to want to be liked. Um, but I would, I would propose, I would submit to you this morning that we aren't called to fit in. We aren't called to be comfortable. Uh, never do we read that, that we are to be um, like the world or that we're to feel comfortable in the world. Um, I want us to look at First Peter, if you have your Bible, hopefully, haven't already packed it up and got your car ready outside the chapel. Um, First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to 19 says this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you are redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Why don't we pray uh, before we get into what oh, we're going to talk this. Amen. Father God, I'm so thankful for these students, these friends, the opportunities that they have in the life that they live here on this campus and the people that they touch from here. But I pray that as we take the next few minutes to look at your word, that we'd be impacted our lives would be radically changed by the truth communicated to us by the Apostle Peter. Thanks so much for your word. I pray that it would be clear to each of us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, when I was a kid... Now, Mark Talak, you'll have to forgive me. But when I was a kid, I hated, like, missionaries coming to church. I hated, like, when they say, oh, read these missionary biographies. I couldn't think of anything that would be more boring than to read the story about some guy who went and uh, uh, did whatever for the Lord. I mean, to me, that just doesn't seem very exciting. Well, I went on a summer missions trip one summer. And uh, part of the trip was that they had this big library of missionary biographies. And I was going, great, this will be a lot of fun. Um, I pulled the book out called Bruchko, And uh, I read this book and it radically changed the way I think about missions, about missionaries, about... um, Reading missionary biographies. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, get past that childhood fear of missionary biographies and pick up some if you can. This story, this is a story about a, a guy, 19 year old boy. 19 year old boy from Minnesota. It, it describes how he got saved. Uh, grew up in a, in a church that was, was stale and cold and dead and never heard the gospel. So a friend shared it with him. And, and it lit him a fire. I mean, he, he couldn't help but want to share and want to do everything that he could for the Lord. He, um, he was, call, his, his parents just kind of wrote him off as a total fanatic. Uh, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, you need to go to college. You need to do kind of the normal thing. Uh, this guy had a, an incredible burden to, to go to South America and work with the Indians. He applied as a 19-year-old. He applied to mission agencies. And no one would accept him. They said, you know, you need to go to do all this stuff. So he decided that, well, I have this burden and I'm just not going to let it die. So he packed up a suitcase. Uh, the 70 bucks that he had stuck in his pocket. Someone had donated the money for a, an airline ticket and he flew off to Venezuela. He knew one person and he ends up there in Venezuela, in Caracas, at the airport, and is is sitting on his suitcase with seventy dollars in his pocket and the one person that he knows doesn't show up I mean, he's just totally Forgotten or whatever and he, had, I mean, he's sitting there in a foreign country uh as, knows nobody and this is what he writes He says for a moment panic flooded me what on earth was I doing? I was 19 years old I had seventy dollars no knowledge of Spanish No concrete plans only a drive within from God that nearly everyone else thought was foolish. You know, I wonder this morning if uh, if you and I, if we're more concerned about concrete plans, about the concrete plans for our life, than we are about a deep drive and desire within. Are we more concerned with where we can minister uh, most effectively, what best suits us, what is most us? Are are we sucked up in the in God's eternal plan for the upbuilding of his kingdom? You know, Peter had just exactly that thought as he writes these words. He had just exhorted his uh, his audience to live holy lives, to live self-controlled lives, to live hope driven lives. And he goes on to talk about um, what sort of approach we take in our life. Uh, how we're to go about living those things out. It says, uh, verse 17, there, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Um, you do call on a father. He is your father. And since he's your father, that, that relationship is there. He's talking to saved people, to believers who call God their father, who's their impartial, unbiased, just, loving God and judge and he says, because that is the case, because that is true, because that's the kind of father, the kind of God that you have, this is how you should live your life. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Uh, when I was in junior high school, uh, I loved baseball. I, I love baseball, but I, I get so kind of caught up with other stuff that. I probably couldn't even tell you who's on what team, but when I was in junior high, you asked me any player's name, I could have told you the team, their statistics, everything. Collected tons of baseball cards. What I loved to do was to, I lived up in the Bay Area, grew up in the Bay Area, Oakland Ace territory, Billy Ball, you know, it was the Billy Martin days. Uh, I loved to go to the ballpark early, very early, like before anyone was there. I'd sit out in the parking lot, the players would drive in in their, Porsches and the Mercedes or whatever. And I, as a little kid, I'd run up with my card and ask for an autograph. And then I'd stay late after the game and, and wanted to get these autographs. Of all the many autographs that I collected, I remember sending away something that I got back in the mail. It's a, a card I had sent to Willie Mays. Uh, if you don't know who Willie Mays is, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And he sends back this card, signed, personalized to me by Willie Mays. Now, I'm standing there, having ripped open the mail with this card in my hand, thinking, wow, I mean, this was in his hand. He signed it, signed it to me, and sent it back to me. What what I hold here, what I possess, has come from greatness. Willie Mays. Friends, what we have been given from God, the salvation that you and I have, it should strike a fear into us. It should strike such an awe in our hearts that would radically affect and impact the way we live each day. The kind of awe that says, what I have, the salvation that I know and that I experience has come from God, has come from the God that I can call my Father. That is the kind of view we, that we need to have in the life that we live. That's, I think, the kind of the kind of fear that Peter talks about when he says... To live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Uh, As sojourners. As people who are only visiting. Uh, The song that we sang and the song that Steve sang couldn't have summed it up better. That we are strangers here. That word has the idea of uh, living on the outside of the house. Not going in and taking up residence, finding a nice little easy chair and clicking on the TV. But that we, we're not making ourselves comfortable. We're living on the outside of the house. Strangers, sojourners, visitors, green cardless Christians, if you want to call it that. People who don't take up residence here. Uh, A a great illustration that pictures it for me. Uh, If you walk out these doors, walk across the street in between King Hall and Vider Hall, there's what we call under the oaks or UTO. Right. Um, Huge, huge oak trees. Now, if you walk up to to these oak trees and you lean up against and you start to try to push them, they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, they've got roots twice as deep as they are tall. Permanent fixtures, immovable. That's exactly the, uh, the warning that Peter, that Peter gives to us. Don't become fixtures. Don't become so that you're so immovable, that you're so attached to the world that we live in here, that uh, people just see you as a permanent part of the scenery. The people that Peter was writing to, the Jewish Christians, they understood this without without a doubt. They understood what it meant to be strangers, to be foreigners, to culture, to culturally and physically, socially not fit in. Um, And Peter later goes on to warn or to exhort them and to encourage them that you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what is right. You're not going to fit in. This isn't your home. They understood that. And spiritually, for us today, removed from the situation, Peter's words stri- should strike that same kind of understanding and, and radical life change in our own lives. That this isn't our home. We're not to be comfortable. We're not to be strangers here. We're not to be the oak tree, firmly fixed, immovable. My fear is that uh, that's exactly what that you and I have become. We get attached. Um, we fix uh, our eyes and our lives on on things that the world calls important. Um, being here as a Christian here on the planet Earth means that you'll feel uncomfortable. Learn to live with that. Learn to live with that reality that you are not meant to feel comfortable here. This isn't our home. This isn't our home. After Peter talks about that, he goes on to describe um, the practical, what I believe, one of the One of probably the clearest, most practical applications of how salvation, of how our salvation should impact our daily living. I think he's maybe, maybe, maybe guessing what these people are going to say or their response like, oh, come on, Peter, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal with wanting some things and wanting to be comfortable here? I mean, after all, I'm going to be here for 60, 70 years. Why not make, you know, why not make the most of it? Why not live it up? And this is what he says to them. This is what he says to us this morning. For you know. You know because you're saved. Because you call on a father. You know this. You have salvation. For you know that it was not with perishable things. Such as silver or gold. That you were redeemed. From the empty way of life. Handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious. Precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. You got to follow Peter's logic. He says. You're saved. Right? How are you saved? You're saved by the imperishable. So then how should you live for the imperishable? As Christians, you and I aren't born of this world. So we shouldn't live for this world. I mean, I lo- anyone that knows me loves knows that I love things simple. I don't know how much simpler you can get than that. We're not born of this world. So why should we live for this world? Uh, another great illustration I think of is uh, Guys, if you're dating or, or have gone out at a date or whatever Hopefully at some point in time you yeah. uh, have Maybe it's that one year dating anniversary It's uh, Valentine's Day or it's that big engagement night And you do it up I mean, you, you borrow the friend's convertible You get the roses uh, You buy the new suit and you make reservations at this sweet restaurant. You get there. I mean, it's way out of your league. You walk in the door. Uh, you're used to the 49 cent value menu, and uh, these like the prices of the food actually have dollar signs in front of them, not like cent signs. I mean, it's way out of your league. But I mean, you've saved and you've you've saved up all your hard-earned money, and you're gonna you're gonna do it up. You go to this restaurant. You order this meal. Uh, The waiter comes out, he's got the tray, pulls off the silver lid, right? And there's a Whopper and fries sitting there. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of stoked because you could probably eat three burgers, you could eat, you know, burger every meal. But the fact is, you didn't order a Whopper and fries. You paid like big money to get some dinner that you don't really know what it is, but it's supposed to be good. I mean, because you know that you could go down to Burger King and pay 99 cents to get this Whopper. The point being, the price that you paid, the meal doesn't fit with the price that you paid for it. You're expecting this great meal. It doesn't fit. You come to this nice restaurant, there's a burger and fries. Does your life and the way in which you live match up with the price that was paid for it? Because it was a great price that was paid. It was the precious, precious blood of Christ. Does our, do our lives, does my life match up with that price? Precious blood of Christ, of high value, of considerable worth. Another, another picture that comes to my mind, having been married almost two years now, and have having, in my opinion, which I guess is what all that matters, the greatest wife in the world, uh, one of the things that we love to do is maybe take a little weekend trip just to get away for a little bit and uh, now pretend that this is just pretend that I was making a reservation at say like the Hilton or something, you know, someplace really nice. Um, and we, we plan this trip and we drive down there or up there or over there and, and we get there. Having made a reservation at the Hilton, and we show up and it's the Econo Lodge or it's Motel 6. I mean, what we reserved, what what we had expected, is nothing at all like uh, what ends up being there. Picture that comes to mind for me: that is, the reservation that we have, the inheritance, the great inheritance that we have. It, it far exceeds a Hilton or a Red Lion or whatever. The inheritance that we have, Peter describes in verse four of that chapter, as uh, an inheritance that can never perish. Spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. But uh, we live our lives as it's just a Motel 6 up there. As if it's no big deal. As if uh, it's not something that we should anticipate. As if it's not something that we should seek after hard. Alienology, as I've called it, uh, demands that we live in light of our imperishable Redemption. That uh that we don't make this place our home, that we don't become permanent fixtures, who if the Lord was to come today, we would we would kind of waver back and forth between staying here and actually going to be in heaven with the Lord. And I know that we're at that place, all of us, at some point in in our life, where we honestly go, I know heaven's gonna be good, God, but I kind of like it here too. We are we are called and Peter exhorts us. Because of the salvation, because of the imperishable salvation, because of that, that inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, that we've got to live our lives totally differently than that. Let's take a little test. Uh, do you feel uncomfortable around music that doesn't honor the Lord? Do you uh, squirm? Do you get up? Do you leave at a movie that portrays things contrary to God's word? Do you plan and strive for things, for possessions, for position rather than holiness? Is your life hope driven? Are your passions for things here or for things there? Uh, the Apostle John echoes the exact, uh, the exact thought that, that Peter expresses in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two, verse 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world, the world and his desires. Now, listen, the world and his desires pass away But the man, the woman, who does the will of God lives forever. Our home is not here. Are you controlled by your cravings, like John describes? Does the world and all that it has to offer charm you? And as you think about spring break, you can't wait to get home to enjoy some of those things. To enjoy what the world can feed you and offer you. i got to tell you that I'm often... I am often charmed by the world and I, I get all confused and my eyes are not set on being a stranger here. I know you must as well. I've learned a helpful little example. Uh, I don't know if someone told me this at some point. or I heard a preacher talk about it that I think really illustrates uh, our relationship to the world that we live in and to the eternal things that we really live for. And it's this, that we are to gaze at the eternal things, to gaze at the inheritance that is, that is uncorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you, and glance at the things around us, and glance at the world that we live in. That we are to gaze intently, stare, concentrate on the things of God, the things that are imperishable, and just glance at the things around us. But uh, we get that backwards so often, don't we? I mean, we, we gaze at the things that the world has to offer. And we just glance at God's word. We just glance at the fact that, hey, this world gonna, is going to burn. And what we have is so much greater. So much greater. Second Corinthians 4.18 says that very thing. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen... The world that we live in is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. You know, Bruce Olson, uh, who the Indians gave him the name Bruchko, uh, after, after just taking that risk, going down to South America, uh, fighting and enduring disease, torture, um, every possible thing you can think of, loneliness, he evangelized the entire Motalone tribe, the entire people. He, taught, he, he, he developed their language into a written language. He translated several New Testament books. He was recognized by the United Nations, by the presidents of this country for his accomplishments, for the contribution that he made investing his life in these people. Do you think that Bruce Olson understood what it meant, what it meant to be a stranger here? Man, I sure do. I think he understands exactly what his life was to be while he was here temporarily and then what was really eternal. You know, we sit through a ton of uh, sermons, and me more than you, because I've got chapel here Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I got chapel to seminary Tuesday, Thursday, and then I got church on the weekend. And it's so easy to absorb all these things and not do anything with them. But the biblical model for when you hear truth uh, is that you go from a state of ignorance or not understanding clearly what the Bible says to understanding as the word is proclaimed from ignorance to understanding. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at just understanding what's being said, but it's obedience. And the process of hearing and receiving biblical truth isn't complete until there's obedience in your life. And you know what we're talking about this morning, it's gonna look different for each of you. I don't know what it is that, that, that grips you to the ground, that, that your strings are attached to the world. But I'll tell you this, whatever that is, you need to identify it, and you need to cut the strings. And, and you need to cut those strings constantly. And as you go home and evaluate what are those things that you're attracted to, where your passions are, for things here or for things there, you gotta cut those strings. I think we understand uh, what John's saying, what Peter's saying, what Paul says. Fixing our eyes on things above, living as strangers here in reverent fear. The thing now is, is obedience in our lives. Some of you are so fixed um, on the temporal things, on the things that are that are going to perish, that it would take a jackhammer to pry you loose. And uh, I hope that this morning maybe it would be that jackhammer in your life. Some of you just... Um, you felt awkward about your life and the world that you live in and, and you just need that encouragement that, hey, that's good. That's right. That's how you're supposed to feel. When you, when you walk down the mall or city walk or wherever and you see things and you hear things that repulse you, that's good. That's how it should be. The fear is that when that doesn't bother us anymore, when we become so attached, so permanent here that, that, hey, we don't even think about the eternal. We don't even think about that inheritance that we have. Yet, uh, sadly, some of you, um, and, and me at times, think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't understand being an alien, being a foreigner. Um, and I would ask you, if you're in that situation right now this morning, to take a hard look at your heart. And as you drive home, take a hard look. For Michelle, my wife, and I, this this truth, this um, call to Christian living, became we became radically and, and re, in a real way, we became aware of it. Uh, last May, uh, May 31st, 1994, uh, Michelle and I were sitting at home, uh, gotten home from work, and the phone rang. And it was... Uh, it was Mary Beth Provost, one of Michelle's best friends. And she told Michelle that um, that uh, one of their best friends, a uh, girl named Debbie, had just been killed. Debbie, Michelle, they were RAs here together went on mission trips together, um, was in a, a horrific plane accident. Her and, and a friend from work who was the pilot. That she'd been killed. It, it was de- It's devastating. Uh, 23 years old. Uh, life taken from her. And uh, yet the events that unfolded from this are, are some of the most incredible, uh, incredible statements of God's sovereignty and God's power that I've ever, ever seen. That radically impacted Michelle and I. She had just been, Debbie had just been out here hanging out with with Mary Beth and Michelle three days, three days before that, and was sharing with them just the great burden that she had for the people that she works with at a secular office. Just what a burden she had for these people, these unsaved people, three days before this happened. And she had just shared with a lady in her church that she met with weekly and prayed with. Just the day before, she went out flying with this friend. Of the great burden that she had for her friend to come to know the Lord. And how how when she went up, when she went flying with him this day, how she was just gonna lay it all out on the line. She's gonna be bold, she's gonna confront him with the gospel because he needed to hear it. Just the day before. And she prayed with this lady at her church, Lord, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to make him know you. That next day, she was killed. The plane went down. God spared his life. We went down the, the the memorial service. The office closed down the office for the day. So her whole 150 people that she worked with in this office were at the memorial service. Pastor preaches a clear presentation of the gospel, of, of the hope that Debbie had. This man's there, overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the love that he felt by the family, by friends, gave his life to Christ. You know, that's exactly what it's all about. You know, it's sad, and, and Michelle and I were talking about it last night, last night, and it's sad. But you know what? More than anything, our response should be, man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you got to see the Lord before I did. And and through the grief of that, the way that the Lord used it illustrates exactly the way we're to live our lives. As strangers here, letting letting the Lord suck us up into his eternal plan for the upbuilding of his kingdom. Spending our lives not trying to be comfortable, not becoming permanent oak tree fixtures, but being sojourners, being visitors. On our way to a better place, and Debbie gets to experience that better place. She's not a stranger anymore, like we are. She she's at home. She's where she belongs, where she fits in, where she's comfortable. You know, uh, a movie, The Dead Poets Society, it popularized that saying, "Carpe diem." Uh, I don't like it personally because I think it's kind of selfish. Like, live life every day for yourself. Live it up. Do whatever you can. I think rather the Christian's response should be strangers live every day for the imperishable. Live every moment of every day for the imperishable. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so clear as to how we're to live our lives in light of the salvation that we've been given. God, thank you for using so many things in our life that bring to light your word, the truths of your word. God, it's my prayer that that we as a master's college family would be characterized by what Peter talks about living our lives as strangers. Thanks so much for this time that we've been that we've had uh, to to talk about these things, these eternal things. That we might live for the eternal. God, I pray that each one of us, uh, as we leave to go on spring break, as we go to lunch, would identify those things in our lives that, that tie us to the world that we live in. Uh, the strings that we need to cut. The, the gaze that we need to have on the eternal things. God, thanks for each of these students. I pray that as they travel, you give them safety. You'd uh, keep them pure. You'd keep them holy in your sight as they spend time with family and friends, that you'd give them opportunity to share their faith, to minister, to love the people around them. That you'd bring us back together safely. We'd be able to rejoice again at the things that that you are doing in our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen.